Well, very, very good to see you, dear saints. Uh, I wish I could be there with you. It was almost exactly a year ago that we, uh, Michael and I came together to, to South Africa. We had a wonderful time there in the training and then in the conference. And right as soon as the conference was over, I think you remember, the pandemic came. And the day I left uh, South Africa, the next day, they closed the airport. Otherwise, I, w- I would have migrated to South Africa, <laughs> accidentally migrated. But anyway, that was the last time that I was uh, able to make a long trip to, to visit the saints. We miss, we miss all of you very, very much. I, I know Michael does too. Just seeing, just seeing your face on my computer makes me very happy. <laughs> but I would be a lot happier if we were together. Well, in this uh, conference, we're going to um, fellowship uh, on a on a very particular subject, which is uh, the general subject is the intrinsic and organic building up of the church as the body of Christ. You know, we have some particular words that we like to use in our, uh, let's call it our our spiritual culture, our church life uh, society. We, we like certain words like intrinsic and organic. But I would like to tell you why we use these words. And this is uh, because at the, the very later part of the ministry of Brother Witness Lee, he told us, he said, there are two words that really describe and define his entire ministry. I would be, I would like to know what those two words are. And these are the words he said, intrinsic and organic. You know, what the Bible reveals, it has, I would say it's like different layers or different levels. There's an outward revelation which the Bible calls the letter. There's the letter in Second um, <clears throat> Corinthians 3. But then it also talks about the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So there is the letter, but beneath that layer, beneath that level, is the spirit and the spirit is the intrinsic things, the organic things. And actually everything in the Bible is intrinsic and organic. Why? Because the Bible mainly reveals one great matter. And that is the triune God with his economy to 
gain the church as the body of Christ, which will consummate in the new Jerusalem. You know, saints, if I don't know if you have considered it this way before, but all the positive things in the Bible, all the positive things in God's economy are persons. They're persons. They're not things. Life is a person. It's not a thing. Resurrection is a, is a person. The way, the Lord said, I am the way, the reality and the life. He also said, I am the resurrection. Even the way, even our way to practice the church life. You know, we, we do use the word way, don't we? We talk about having the pattern in the book of Acts of the God-ordained way. It's okay. It's okay to use the word way as long as you remember the way is a person. You know, we, we need this, this thing here on top of our shoulders. It needs a lot of renewing. When we hear way, we think method. Well, the Bible doesn't give methods. And if you go to the Bible and look for methods, you, you could probably come up with some. People do that. But the actual revelation in the Bible is not methods. It's not outward practices or ways It is organic. Of course it is. The triune God is a person. That's organic. Life is organic. The body of Christ is organic. The church is organic. The New Jerusalem is organic. You know, it's a shame in the the English language... The word that got translated as church into English, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think it might be the same in in German and Afrikaans. That word church, it it it, it doesn't convey the intrinsic significance of of the word at all. And most people's common understanding of the church is a place. It's a building, a physical building with colored windows. And maybe it on the top, it has a, a big cross or a steeple. And they say, that's the church. No, that's, that's not the church. That has very little to do with the church. No, the church is something organic. And because the church is organic, everything related to the church is organic. And listen, everything we practice in the church should be organic. It shouldn't be formal. It shouldn't be outward practices. The degradation of the church which you can see in Revelation 2 and 3, 
a big part of that degradation is leaving the way of life, the organic way, and taking a formal way, a um, a way of methods. You know, we even have an entire denomination called the Methodists. My goodness, I don't want to be a Methodist. I want to be a Zoe man, a man of life. I don't need the ways or the methods because life is the way. Life is the method. Okay. Now, there are many things. We are only going to talk about five of them this weekend. We could do many more, but we will talk about five intrinsic matters related to the church. The first is the essence of the church for its organic existence. That'll be this first message. The the very existence of the church has an intrinsic essence, which we will see is life. It's life. Then the second item we'll see is the intrinsic growth of the church for its increase, its organic increase. Of course, because the church is a living organism, the increase of the church is organic. It's growth. It's growth. The increase of the church is like the increase in your physical body. When you were born, you were so small. And now today, you're so big. What happened? An organic increase took place and you grew. And that growing was the building up of your physical body. That's how the church grows. The church grows organically by the increase of Christ as constitution within the body then the third intrinsic matter we want to see i just mentioned it the intrinsic building up of the church for its organic function that's mainly in ephesians 4 when we talk about the building up of the church it's for the functioning of the uh, perfected members of the body of Christ, and their functioning is unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, there's another very important intrinsic matter related to the church, and that is the intrinsic fellowship of the churches for their organic relationship that's what we're enjoying this weekend aren't you glad aren't you glad that even during the pandemic we can we can have intrinsic fellowship wherever we are i'm in my home uh many of you 
I don't know where all of you are. You're many, 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 many places. But I hope we can all be in the same place. I hope we can be in the intrinsic fellowship. That's our relationship. We're not just friends. We're not even just brothers and sisters. We are one. We are one body. We have one life and we have an intrinsic fellowship. How wonderful. Well, all of these things actually can be seen quite much from the book of Ephesians. And sorry, we have to mention one negative one. And it's also in the book of Ephesians. And that is the intrinsic factor of the winds of teaching. The winds of teaching to not build up the body of Christ, but to tear down the body of Christ. You know, this is simply a fact. It shouldn't shock us. The very first time that the church was ever mentioned in the Bible by the Lord himself, he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Well, what he's really telling us is the gates of Hades will immediately try to prevail against this purpose of our God to build the church. And it's so interesting. What does God use to build the church? Of course, he uses many things, but let's, let's stick with Ephesians 4. God uses the ministry, the ministry, which perfects the saints and causes them to grow. Satan uses teachings, winds of teachings. In a sense, we, we are fighting this warfare with words, aren't we? We we speak the truth. We speak the words of the New Testament ministry, and Satan speaks the lie, which is a wind of teaching. And throughout church history, I'm sorry to say, but it started in the very first century. The wind of teaching immediately came in. You read, especially um, uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and it talks about the um, um, degradation of the church. And Paul said, already in the first century, there were people teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. I'm not talking about the resurrection of Christ. I'm talking about the final resurrection. So this is one example of many that we could give. Many winds of teaching have blown through the church for centuries, for centuries. Some are more evil than others, but they're evil. And, you know, um, we're not exempt 
I wish I, I wish I could tell you that we're exempt. We're not. I've been in the recovery a long, long time. And unfortunately, I've, I, I've experienced these winds quite a few times. Every now and then it gets real windy in the Lord's recovery. And uh, the enemy comes in. He comes in, unfortunately, he comes in through people, doesn't he? He, he, he? Hopefully it won't be you or me, but he could come in to anyone. Uh, he could come in through anyone in the form of teaching. So we really do need to be aware of this attack because it, it, it's with us all the time. It's with us all the time. Um, we'll cover that one last after we cover all the good things. Then we'll, then we'll talk about the, the negative factor of the winds. Um, but I just give you another example of a wind. And that is, it'll be covered in the last message of this conference, but I, I'll give you another real life example. You know, um, every truth, every truth in the Bible has two sides. Uh, this is a great, great principle for our understanding of the scriptures is to realize this. Is the church local or universal? It's both. It has a local aspect and it has a universal aspect. Um, and you have to you have to balance you have to balance these two. And the utterance that Brother Lee had at the end of his ministry, he told us that the local churches, the local aspect of the church, are a kind of procedure because they're outward aren't they we have the local churches strictly speaking the matter of the local churches is outward it's the gatherings of us believers city by city with with the elders and the deacons and it's 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 not the intrinsic significance of the church it's the outward aspect of the church. The body of Christ is the intrinsic significance of the church. So the body of Christ is the goal. Can you see that? The churches, we love them. We love every one of them. Because they bring us into the intrinsic aspect, which is the body. The body, which is of life. Well. People throughout history have argued, and uh, I, I, I don't want to say too much more about that, but doctrinal arguments, they usually center around one of two things. They either center around the Trinity or the church, which just happen to be the two most important things in the entire Bible. But that's what believers, real believers, have actually 
argued about for centuries, for centuries. Well, anyway, uh, let's begin to talk about the essence of the church. The essence of the church is the divine life, and the divine life is Christ as the embodiment of the processed triune God. When we say life, remember, life is what? A person. A person. First John says, if you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. So life comes to us not as a thing. Life comes to us as a person. You know, there's a very beautiful and lovely picture of that in the physical realm. Human life did not come to you as a thing. It came to you in the form of your parents. That's how, that's why you look like your parents. Life came to you, but not apart from a person. And the divine life came to us, but not apart from this person. Okay, along with these outlines, and I, I don't know if you have this, I, I hope you do, there, there were <clears throat> four key statements that accompanied these outlines. And I want to read the first one to you because it, 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 it crystallizes the entire first message. So if I don't make it clear, you can just come back to this statement. This statement says it everything. It says, we must walk in the way of life to live by the tree of life according to the spirit, not in the way of death, to live by the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong according to the self. That's the real burden of this first uh, message, and I like this because it it brings in not just the thought of life, but the tree of life, the tree of life. And when we talk about the tree of life, it's so significant. Um, you know, in a very real sense, this is a direct continuation of the burden that we had in the crystallization study of Job. We're talking about Job and the two trees and uh, how God wanted to take a person who was really set on the way of knowledge and transfer him to the way of life, it's not easy. That's why Job is such a long book. It's a big process, and we we saw that in the training. Well, now we have to realize Job was just the type. Now we're talking about the New Testament reality. In the New Testament reality, the intrinsic essence of the church is the divine life which generates the church. If you don't have the divine life, there's no church. 
the divine life is, is the very essence of the church. The divine life brings forth. The divine life gives birth to the church. You know, only regenerated people are in the church. That only people who get born but through regeneration. So that's the source of the church. And it's what generates the church. Okay, I'll read a little bit now from the outline. The intrinsic essence of the church is the divine life, the indestructible life, which the process triune God has dispensed into us and is now dispensing into us. This divine life is actually the processed and now dispensing triune God. This is how the church, how the divine life becomes the essence of the church. The divine life generates us by the regeneration of the spirit in our spirit. The divine spirit begets the human spirit. And these two spirits are mingled as one. Hallelujah for regeneration. Isn't it wonderful that we got regenerated? We got the divine life in addition to our human life. So we, we have become a complicated person. Um, we have a human life. We also have a divine life. Okay, <clears throat> number two, when we are regenerated, we are made the children of God as the bride of Christ, who is the bridegroom for his increase, as typified by Eve as the counterpart to Adam. You know, this is a... a one of the types in the Old Testament, one of the great types is Eve as a type of the church. And right now we're talking about the intrinsic essence of the church. So we, we, we want to see that from the type of Eve. And what do we see there? Well, let me read it first and I'll say something. It says, <clears throat> before Eve came into existence, she was a rib of Adam. How about that? She was a part of Adam. According to this revelation, we can say that before the church came into existence, she was a part of Christ. Just as the members of our physical body are parts of us, the members of Christ are parts of Christ. We all know Adam, Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground. He was, he was, he was fashioned out of red clay, <clears throat> the meaning of the name Adam. It's red clay, and 
that's what Adam was made out of. How about Eve? What was she made out of? Was she made out of clay? No. She was made out of Adam. Uh, you, you may say, well, Adam was made out of clay. So if Eve was made out of Adam, she was also made out of clay. I would say, don't exercise your mind so much. This is a, a beautiful, beautiful picture of how Christ produces the church and how Christ becomes Christ as life becomes the very essence of the church. God, according to this type, took a rib out of Adam. He caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And then he used a rib. And it's very interesting. You read Genesis chapter 2. It doesn't say he formed a woman. It says he built a woman. God built Eve using the material from Adam. God builds the church using the very life of Christ. God caused Christ to fall into a deep sleep on the cross. And... <clears throat> When the soldiers came to break the rib of Jesus, they saw that he had already died. So they didn't break his ribs or his legs. They just pierced his side. And out of his side came blood and water to produce the church. That blood is our judicial redemption, and the water is for our organic salvation. This produced the church. Life flowed out of the rib of Jesus and came into the church. Oh, it really matches the picture, doesn't it? It's wonderful. The way that the church could be the counterpart of Christ is just match Christ. You don't want to marry someone who doesn't match you. It, the secret to a good marriage is having a good match. And um, <clears throat> in the story there in Genesis, before God gave Eve to Adam. He first brought all the animals to Adam and, 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 and Adam named the animals. He said, oh, that's, that's a lion. That's a giraffe. Uh, that's a uh, elephant. But none of them matched Adam, did they? Because Adam is not an animal. Adam is made in the image and likeness of God. He needs a match. He needs somebody who is just like him. So after God brought Eve to Adam, Adam, I think, 
just by his words, I think Adam was really happy. Listen, he said it this. This time, it is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. When he, when he saw the elephant, he said that, no, <laughs> that's not me. Giraffes, that doesn't match me. But Eve, oh, she matches me. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Why? Of course she is because she came out of Adam. Of course she matches him. She came out of him. She's made out of him. What a, what a fantastic picture of how Christ is the essence of the church, his life. Through his process of death and resurrection, his life being released and then dispensed into us makes us the church as his counterpart. It also makes us, believe it or not, you are a very good match for Christ. Don't be so hard on yourself. We're all disappointed with ourselves, me too. But, you know, when the Lord looks at us, he sees something different. When he looks at us, he knows, he knows we, he knows we got fallen. He knows that. He took care of that through his judicial redemption. When he sees the church, you know what he says? I found her. I found her. My match, my match. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I found my counterpart. Okay, I better I better read on a little bit here. Just as Adam's rib imparted life into Eve to make her Adam's counterpart, so Christ's eternal, divine, indestructible life imparts life into us to make us his counterpart. So, how did Christ become the intrinsic essence of the church christ became the intrinsic essence of the church through the release of his divine life and this is shown in the gospel of john as a grain of wheat falling into the ground and being multiplied it's interesting. The uh, Gospel of John uses three different figures to tell us about the death of Christ. Most people only talk about one, which is the first one, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we, we love the Lamb of God. We appreciate him. But the same chapter, John chapter 3, uses a second figure. Christ did not only die as the Lamb of God. He died as a bronze serpent. I remember the first time, I couldn't believe it, the first time I heard a message on the bronze serpent. I was shocked because 
you know, growing up in America, even though I was not a believer, everybody knows John 3.16. Even all the unbelievers know John 3.16. <laughs> and, and they know that, you know, the picture of the lamb. But did you know that Christ in his death is also a serpent? As the lamb, he deals with our sins. As the serpent, he deals with the source of sin. He deals with Satan himself, the big serpent. But then this gospel goes on to use another figure, which is very, very interesting. In John chapter 12, verse 24, he it says there that he fell into the ground and died as a grain of wheat. This means this is a very different aspect of the death of Christ, isn't it? Most of the time when we talk about Christ's death, we talk about redemption, justification, forgiveness, which we treasure. But, you know, all those are through the blood. The grain of wheat has no blood. So this aspect of the death of Christ has nothing to do with redemption, and it has nothing to do with sin. I know this is a new thought to many of us, but but it's it's a fact, it's, isn't it? This aspect of the death of Christ is what is typified with Adam. Through the release of the divine life by Christ as the one grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying there for his multiplication. That's the New Testament reality that matches that type in Genesis of Adam. Adam did not redeem Eve. Adam did not save Eve. No, Adam gave life to Eve. The death of Adam, the deep sleep of Adam, which signifies the death of Christ, was for life. It was for the impartation of life. Okay, C says, Christ became the intrinsic essence of the church through the impartation of his divine life as the one, oh, sorry, through the impartation of his divine life as the firstborn son of God in his resurrection, that God may have many sons as the many brothers of Christ. Isn't this wonderful? You know, it's not that easy to study the Bible. It really is not. Uh, on the one hand, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. Am I right? Many times. And then we come to the book of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. 
and also the book of Hebrews, Paul calls him the firstborn son of God. Well, if you are the only begotten, you can't be the firstborn because there are no brothers. If you're the firstborn, that means there are many brothers. How do we understand this? Well, the only begotten son has only divinity. That's why there's only one. There's only one only begotten son of God. That's God, the son in his Godhead. And he, that only begotten son, he only has divinity, not humanity. But the firstborn has divinity and humanity. And according to our understanding of the Lord's process in his economy, he was incarnated. He lived the human life. He went through death. He entered into resurrection. And in resurrection, he became a life-giving spirit to impart life into us. And 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that when Christ was resurrected, we were regenerated. I know according to time, according to time, that is not possible. But God is not bound by time. Why does the Bible say we got regenerated at the time of resurrection? I wasn't even born yet. Neither were you. How how is it that we got regenerated? Because according to God's eternal view, it was at the resurrection of Christ that the life-giving spirit poured out, dispensed this life which was within Christ as the single grain of wheat. It got poured out. It got released into a lot of people. I don't know how many. I don't know how many. Think about it. You know, I come from a big family, but it, you know, it only has nine children. My, my parents had nine children. And the last two in my family are twins. So my mother had seven children and then she had twins. Well, we might think that's big. How many people got regenerated on the day of resurrection? In one birth, in one single birth. Of course, I don't know the answer. I would say hundreds of millions of people got born at the same time. And listen to this. Every single one of them is a twin. Everyone. Everyone is the twin of Christ. Did you know you are a twin of Christ? You're not just a brother of Christ. You're a twin brother. You look just like him. Because you are just like him. And so am I. What a wonderful birth. What a wonderful birth. In this great 
I don't know what to call it, this great universal childbirth. The divine life came into the body of Christ as the essence of the body of Christ. And you and I were regenerated, and we became the many brothers of Christ. And that's why, after the Lord's resurrection, he called the disciples brothers. Before his resurrection, he never called them brothers. He called them friends. But after his resurrection, when he came back in resurrection, he called them brothers. Wonderful. This shows that he also feels that we were born at the time of his resurrection. How did we get into this Christ? We were grafted into him. This is the biblical revelation. John 15 talks about the vine, which is a a kind of a tree. Uh, The vine with its branches. But we were not created in our first birth as part of that vine were we no we got we got grafted in at a later time and when did the grafting take place well now you know the grafting actually took place at the time of Christ's resurrection but when did we experience it we experienced it when we believed into Christ and when we were baptized into Christ. You know, many Bible readers say believe in Christ. Yes, I believe in Christ, but more often the Bible uses the preposition into. When you believe in Christ, that believing grafts you into Christ. Believing plus baptism. The two steps, and if you read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it tells us that baptism is a grafting. You know, when you baptize someone, what you see, what you see in the physical realm is you see a person who is put into water. That does happen in the physical realm. But at the exact same time, something else happens in the divine and mystical realm. That person is grafted into another person. Not just into the water. No, into Christ, into Christ's death, and into Christ's resurrection. So that's our experience of this grafting. Oh, I never forget. I will never forget the day I was baptized. Oh, I can. Re- I remember it just like yesterday. What a great day! I got into Christ, <laughs> and so did you. We got grafted in. Now, after you get grafted into Christ, what happens? 
And this is what this is what Romans six says. And this is how we know that Paul is speaking about grafting. He says, we grow together with him. We grow together with him. That's what a branch does. Once it gets grafted into a tree, it grows together with the tree, doesn't it? And we talk about our union with the Lord. We use three words. We talk about union. We talk about mingling. And we talk about incorporation. You can see all three of these in this picture of grafting. As soon as you are joined to the Lord, you become one spirit with him. That's like the union of the tree and the branch. That's step one, a union in life. But as soon as the tree and the branch are grafted together, the second thing begins, mingling, mingling, because that branch and that tree are growing together. The, the nature of the tree is being mingled with the nature of the branch. So this is another level beyond just joining they are mingled together and eventually they grow together in such a way you can't tell the branch from the tree that's incorporation that's the body of christ that's what the body of christ is the body of christ is christ just like those branches become the tree and the tree becomes the branches. Okay, I better, I better read on. Uh, the many brothers of Christ are his many branches grafted into him. The true vine in the universe to bear much fruit for his enlargement in his spreading. So that they might express the triune God as his organism. You know, the church is the organism of the triune God. That's why we say it's the church is an organic matter. It's not an outward matter. They are the organism of the triune God. When the branches of the vine receive a sufficient supply of the life-giving spirit as the life juice of Christ, they bear fruit as the overflow of the inner life supply. This inner life supply, that's the mingling that we were just talking about. A, a new believer gets joined to Christ, then a very long process begins, a very long process of mingling. But that process has a consummation. The consummation of this mingling will be incorporation. Not only so, <coughs> as the branch is being mingled with the tree, fruit comes out. And that fruit 
is manifested in two ways. It is manifested in our expression of Christ in our living. And it's also manifested by our bearing spiritual children. They are also our fruit. The expression of Christ in our living is our fruit. And our spiritual children are also the fruit which comes from this mingling with Christ. If you are not satisfied with your fruit bearing, I have some advice for you. Spend some more time getting mingled with the Lord. Fruit will come. Fruit will come. You know, this is a balance that we have in our teaching and in our practice. I told you, and it's true, I told you at the beginning of this message that the gardening way is not a way, it's not a method. But on the other hand, there is a pattern, isn't there? There's a pattern. There's a pattern in the book of Acts. It's an organic pattern. And you study Acts chapter 2, what you find there is the characteristics of a normal church life. And I'm I'm not going to mention all of them today because of time, but I'll mention two. The first one is they continued steadfastly in the teaching and fellowship of the apostles. And this unique New Testament ministry was the factor of their oneness and of their one accord. And you know what the end result of it was? The Lord added to the church daily. Oh, I hope that will happen, don't you? In Johannesburg, the Lord adding to the church daily. In Durban, the Lord adding to the church daily. In Cape Town, in Pretoria, in every place. In Cairo. It should be. This is normal. This is normal. So if we are short of fruit, my brothers and sisters, if we are short of fruit, it means we're short of mingling. Get into the mingling. Get into the mingled spirit. Get into the word of God. Get into the life supply. Fruit will come. Okay. This organism of the triune God is the organic body of Christ, constituted with his many brothers as the many members of his organic body. This is the intrinsic essence of the church. And we need, now the outline tells us, we need to see and experience the organic existence of the church. This Roman numeral one is the foundation to tell us how it is Christ as life that is the essence of the church. Now, we have to see and experience the organic existence of the church. Think about it. It means, here's what it means. I just want to say it in plain words before I read the outline, because 
I want to make sure it's clear. It means we don't just participate in the church in an outward way. We don't just take the way of the church outwardly. Say, well, I attend meetings and I uh, <clears throat> I give offerings and I uh, I do some service and well, that's wonderful, <laughs> but it's not intrinsic. And we need to take the way of the church intrinsically. Psalm 84 talks about this. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Speaking about the church. And then it says that the Lord seekers have the highways to Zion in their heart. That means they take the way of the church in their heart, intrinsically. They don't just follow the outward activities of the church. So this is what we mean when we say we need to see and experience the organic existence of the church. We don't want to just be in the outward aspect. We want to be in the reality, don't we? The reality of the body of Christ. Okay, I, I read on. The church exists in the universe as the one universal church of God for his universal expression, the fullness of God. The church is spreading. Hallelujah. The church is spreading in many localities on this earth as the many local churches to be many local expressions. We really pray, we really do pray for the spreading, the spreading of the church in Southern Africa, actually in the whole continent and the whole earth. But since this is the Southern Africa Blending Conference, we need to pray and cooperate with the Lord for this spreading. And the Lord has given us a way, even though some of the churches are small. You can have a very small church life and still spread. That's that's the beauty of this thing we call the God-ordained way. It's it's entirely scalable. You can practice it with two people and you can practice it with a thousand people. You so, you can practice no matter what size your your locality is no matter how many or how few saints are there the saints can be vitally related together in vital groups to bear fruit it'll work everywhere it'll work in Botswana it'll work in Zimbabwe it'll work in Angola it works everywhere in every city with any number of people so I want to encourage you because I know some of you are in smaller places don't don't be cheated by that. If you're in a smaller place, you just do something smaller. That's fine. It, and, that's, and that's life. Life will grow. Life will grow. And it will increase. And it will spread. Okay, I read on in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Paul puts apostles, who are universal, prophets and teachers who are both universal and local, 
and deacons and elders who are local all together. So he he combines the functions of those who serve um, extra locally with those who serve locally. And this means that the church is both universal and local. It's both. In the eyes of God, the universal church and all the local churches are just the church. That's, there's no conflict between the two. They're all just the church. The processed and now dispensing triune God is one. And he is the very essence of the church. Therefore, this church in both its universal and local aspects is one church. Isn't this great? You know, sometimes when I travel, I like to ask the brothers in a place, I might say, oh, Brothers, how many churches do we have today in uh, in uh, Angola? Then they say, oh, we have such and such a number. I say, no, 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 no. That's wrong. They say, no, no, that's the right number. I said, no, there's only one. There's only one. Well, we're both right, aren't we? Don't consider that the other local churches are a different church than you. They're not. I belong to the same church that you belong to. The same one. It's just, I, I'm in a different location, but it's not a different church. It's just, you know, it's like different offices of a company. I, I, I work here in Seattle. You're, you're working there in, in Southern Africa. But but we're doing the same thing for the same one. And when I come to Southern Africa, I'm not a visitor. I'm a member. And if you come to Seattle, I'm not going to treat you like a visitor. No, you're a member of you're a member of my church. Same one I'm a member of, right? This is why I say our mind needs to be renewed. We can go too far. We can go too far talking about, well, my local church. Your local church is my local church. My local church is your local church. They just happen to be in two different places. But we need to have the thought, which God has, that all of the churches are one church. There's only one. There's only one. You know, people who we meet as we contact people and shepherd people, they often ask us this troublesome question. They say, what church do you go to? I always used to wonder, how do we answer this question? How, what do we really say? Well, we have a brother here. Every time Anyone asks him that question, he gives the same answer. They say, uh, what church do you go to? He says, there's only one. How, how can you ask what church I go to? There only is one. 
That's like asking which which Christ I believe in. There's only one. Which church do I go to? The only one. That's the one I go to, the same one you do. I like that answer. I like that answer. Okay, I read on. According to the scriptures, the practical sevenfold oneness. Oh, this is important, my my brothers, because we're we're talking again. I just relate this back again to the the essence of the church for its existence. The the most important thing, and I mentioned it in Acts two, is is the oneness and one accord. If you lose that, or if you are weak in that, your experience and enjoyment of the organic existence of the church is over. So we always have to pay attention to this. Our oneness has seven aspects. We need to be one in teaching. Of course we do. We only have one teaching, the apostles' teaching in the New Testament ministry. We continue steadfastly in that teaching and fellowship. Number two, we need to be one in practice. Now, don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean that everything is uniformly identical every place we go. No, we live in different countries and different environments. There's a lot of differences, but our practices in the church life have a base, don't they? The base of all of our practices is the apostles' teaching. So in, let's call it in the major practices of how to have the church life, we have to be one. It doesn't mean we have to have our meetings on the same day, the same time, or we 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 paint the outside of our meeting hall the same color. No, we're not talking about that. But we mean our general practice of the church life. I hope it's clear. Then, listen to this. This is a high requirement, but it's in the Bible. We have to be one in thinking. The Bible requires us to think the same thing and to speak the same thing. Not so easy. How are you and I going to think and speak the same thing? How is that going to happen? It's going to happen by the last point. We have to be one in essence, appearance, and expression. If we have the same essence, we'll think the same. We'll speak the same. Because you will think Christ and speak Christ. I will think Christ and speak Christ. Christ will be your essence. Christ will be my essence. This is how it's possible, brothers and sisters, that we could have this amazing church life that we have today on every continent. I... uh, I tell you, it is amazing to me. I can go, and I have gone, 
to many, many, many countries. I just get off the airplane. I don't even, you know, most of the, I mean, some places like South Africa, I've come many times. So I know a lot of people, but sometimes I don't know anyone. I just get off the airplane. I get together with the brothers and immediately, immediately we have fellowship. How can this be? Because this is real. What we're talking about is real. This essence of the church, it's increasing in you and it's increasing in me. And more and more, we don't ever feel like strangers when we see any saints, any place. We're not strangers. We, we can, because we have all these factors of our oneness, these seven fold oneness. Okay, I, I need to read on. This is a very, very beautiful conclusion to this outline. We must continuously exercise our spirit and turn our heart to the Lord in order to stay on the way of life in the reality of the intrinsic essence of the church for its organic existence. How are we going to have this kind of inward, intrinsic, essential oneness? How can we do that? Hallelujah, eating Jesus is the way. We enjoy the tree of life. We take in this life tree. And life is what makes us one. We are one. We are one by eating Jesus. We're divine by eating Jesus. Right? That's, that really is the way. I can't. I was just paying a little tribute there to Brother Dick Taylor. I can't do it the way he does. But anyway, I tried. I tried. When Brother Dick sings, you just get brought right into the heavens. But anyway, this is the way, saints. Don't make it complicated. Exercise our spirit. Turn our heart to the Lord. Stay on the way of life. Stay on the way of life. So the outline says we must walk in the way of life to live by the tree of life according to our spirit, not in the way of death to live by the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong according to the self. Okay, that's the statement that I read to you at the beginning of the message. It's Roman numeral 3a. Make sure you get that. That's 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 crucial. But saints, what it means practically to us is it, the church life has grown a lot. It has spread to many countries, to many cities. It has increased very much in numbers. So you know what that means? It means we have problems. Problems come up, don't they? They just do, because we're all people in our different levels of growth, in our different stages 
of life and of transformation, problems are going to occur in the church life. Now, whenever a problem occurs, there are two ways to approach it, and they're completely different. They're completely different. One way is the way of right and wrong. Okay, we have a we have a disagreement. Who's right? Who's wrong? We will listen to all of the evidence like a judge in a law court and they'll say, hmm, my ruling is that this brother is wrong and that brother is right. Oh, do you want to live in a church life like that? I don't want to live in that church life. The church life's not a law court. It's not. There's another way. It's called the life way. You know what the life way is? Everybody's wrong. You're wrong. I'm wrong. Only Christ is right. So let's eat Christ. <laughs> that's, the, that's the life way. We're not even going to discuss or try to work out who's right, who is wrong. We're going to keep ourselves in the spirit, keep our heart turned to the Lord, keep enjoying Christ as life. That's the center. Christ as the tree of life has to be our center in the church life. That's how he will become our organic essence. I don't want the tree of knowledge to be my essence. I hope, I hope. May it never happen to you or me. I want the tree of life to be my essence and yours. We stay on the way of life by loving the Lord to the uttermost. Amen. We can do that. Can you do that? Yes, you can. To believe in the Lord is to receive him as life. To love him is to enjoy him as life. We can do that. Now, here's an important point. I'll read it, and then we'll conclude. This might shock you. I, I don't know that you, you've ever heard it said this way before. The love between us and the Lord depends on our thoughts. I've never heard it expressed exactly like that, and it's absolutely correct, according to 2 Corinthians 11.2. Paul says that he betrothed us to one husband to present us as a pure virgin to Christ, with a proper love toward him in order to enjoy him. Then the next verse, verse 3, says that it is possible for our thoughts to be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity toward Christ. Did you know that our thoughts have a lot to do with our enjoyment of the Lord and our loving of the Lord? 
They really do. This is why the Bible speaks so strongly about the renewing of the mind. And it even equates the renewing of the mind to transformation. Because eventually, the thoughts are very, very important. So here it says the following symptoms of problems with man's thoughts are all hindrances to the enjoyment of Christ as life. We can be hardened. We can be hardened in our thoughts. We can have our thoughts blinded by Satan. We can be rebellious in our thoughts. And we can be corrupt in our thoughts. We all have to admit this is true. Now, small number three is a little pray, a little prayer. Let's all read that one together, wherever you are. Small number three, we should pray. Oh, Lord, search my thoughts and rescue my thoughts so that they can focus solely and entirely on you. Good prayer. Good prayer. To enjoy Christ as the intrinsic essence of the church, we must have a burning love toward him by giving him the first place in all things. And let's read this last point together. May we continuously receive the merciful compassions of our God, so that we may remain on the way of life, the line of life, and in the maintenance of life by enjoying Christ as the tree of life in the flow of life for God's building in life by our growth in life. This is for us to remain in the intrinsic essence of the church for its organic existence. Okay, I will stop here. The brothers will tell us what to do next.